Welcome to the C9 Win Podcast. In this episode, I have a special guest, Thorne, here with me today, and we're going to talk about the Cloud9 CSGO team and them being dropped after six months. So first, I just wanted to start by talking about the team overall. So what were your thoughts on the roster as they were originally announced with Waxik and Kassad? Um, To me, the it's actually one of the things I feel was really weird about the way that people received the team is I don't remember anyone when the lineup was initially announced having like absurd expectations. I don't remember anyone thinking, you know, they'd be a top five team in the world or a champion or whatever. To me, if you looked at the lineup, the fact that they were sort of reclaiming pieces, most notably key pieces like Woxic, no one even knew, for example, would Alex be good in a different team? There was clearly a lot of gambles. Esetag had only really shown a little bit in Astralis and just been a journeyman. So to me, it, one of the things I found very weird about it is I had fairly tempered expectations coming in. Just my logic, and by the way, Anyone who knows what happened with me in Flashpoint will see how I could have been led down this particular avenue and perhaps there was nothing there. My old logic also went like this. If you're going to lay out as much money as I knew they were spending behind the scenes for buyouts and the salaries, you saw from some of the publicly revealed numbers, massive salaries. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go all out like that, and especially, it's not like you've just done it with the players like Cloud9 did in the past. You've also gotten in. Kassad is the coach, in theory, one of the best coaches in the world. And Henry G, he's never been a GM before, but a massive name in esports. One of the reasons you have to pay for him because... He was the number one commentator. So to me, if you're going to bring in sort of the backroom staff as well, the one thing I would actually say it's going to have edged terribly now in the context of this interview is the one thing you're not going to have to worry about is it's going to be like a four or five month project and the lineup that starts has to be amazing. It turns out that is the case because I would have looked at the lineup and thought, if you're going to put all that money on the table and you're going to build all around these particular pieces, even if one piece doesn't work, you're going to take that piece out. You're going to try something else. Maybe... At one point in time, you just bide your time and you wait for free agents to become available or you wait for some legendary player to get kicked. You know, there's, t- for me, it was on those lineups where I thought like it's a good starting point and it has the potential to maybe be a top 10 team if all these pieces go right. And then if it doesn't happen, in theory, as long as you committed a Counter-Strike, that's going to be okay. There's plenty of other pieces in the scene. And once you've already sort of got it up and running and you know, you know which pieces work and which pieces don't, then it becomes a lot easier to add another piece in that when you're making a lineup on paper that's never played together, you can never quite know how those are going to work out, you know? Right. Do you think that um, Woxic leaving actually had to do with like ping and time zones? Or do you think that that was other issues? I think that's just like, like anyone who's seen, especially Counter Strike. Counter Strike's the ultimate game where they'll never say we just kicked you because you weren't good enough or you don't fit the team. They'll always use side. There's some euphemism, you know. We didn't align with our vision of the game or something like what they did mm-hmm. with Casada and Alex as well. Like, let's be real, one of them just wasn't able to do his job while the other one was there. The obvious, so obviously they picked the one that they preferred in that scenario. So if I had to guess, mate, I would just guess it's like we all saw in the survey just with the million op shots. Like, what do you want? You know, like off the top of my head, right? Of all the players who played for cloud nine i think relative to how much he was supposed to be worth and what people expected from him i think Woxit might have been the worst because mm. i think even the others weren't often big fraggers and people just had ridiculous expectations like s attack to me i watched almost every game cloud nine played and off the top of my head i think the only series i can ever remember him playing well is they had that one good win against spirit which everyone now forgets because at the time everyone who now claims they're an elite team didn't care about them in december of last year it's not even that long mm-hmm. ago and then the other one was he, he was pretty decent i think in the og series i remember at flashpoint but aside from that he was pretty bad in all the series and we're not even just talking bad now relative to the idea he was supposed to be the star player he wasn't even 
that good compared to some of the other players in the team. And he had one of the best gardens in the game. So to me, I think just from what you saw on the server, you don't. Maybe it's true. Maybe he did have issues with the ping. Maybe the fact that they were never going to get to land was a concern for motivation. But for my money, you could have caught him just based on what you saw on the server. Like I don't think he lived up to the billing and the cost that and the gamble that they took on him. Quite frankly, you know, there's plenty of players in the scene right now. You see, free agency who could maybe fill that role if someone like him can't frag. Yeah, yeah. Do you? So one thing that I thought was like, he is the only player I believe at this point, including Henry G, that has actually like responded back to Cloud9 or Jack on Twitter in any sort of like meaningful way. Like when they've all been cut, I think at this point only Henry G and Alex have tweeted of the current roster that's been let go. And I've seen okay. Jack like like respond and there hasn't been like a back and forth. But like with Woxic, he had like a thank you, I appreciate the time. Oh, does that make you think it wasn't like bad feelings or something? There was something yeah, that, as, as, uh, there. Yeah, that was kind of my thought was like, if it actually was ping and that could be why he was missing shots, maybe there was actually some sort of mutual, like you're not just kicked after three months. I mean, I would say this, like if people don't know, like obviously Woxic was in a really bad spot in mouse sports anyway, which isn't the biggest org in the world. And on top of that, I think this basically 2020 was the worst time ever Woxit could have had like a slump in form because he is known basically among the other players. He's supposed to be like a land player and stuff. We don't have any lands. So quite frankly, the other teams that someone like a Woxit would have had to go to, if he was lucky and he hit the right period of form on land, he could have gotten into like a phase clan maybe if they, like especially like the Nico era, if they thought he was good. But aside from that, he's going to have to go to international teams again. And at the moment, like, I don't think his stock was ever that high. So I would also speculate, to be fair, I would imagine he got played pretty well by cloud nine for the brief time he was there they certainly treated him by the way in a way that his form didn't respect like basically they brought him in as though he was their big free agent and he was going right. to be the guy who carried the team so i have to say like i also think it's the fact that like as long as he's a reasonable reflective person even if it didn't work out for him i would go just thanks for the chance mate like it was pretty cool to kind of get another reboot of my career as it was so i would hope by the way there wasn't any real problems there hmm. do you think that there's actually issues between Alex and Kassad because there's an interview with Henry when they're first signing him that he was saying that Alex specifically asked for Kassad and it was kind of alluded to that this was like part of like the signing process of getting Alex um, that he might be like that, that that they could be kind of a package deal like not not necessarily but the, that was kind of the feeling that I got in the interview do you think that there was actually issues between them or do you think that like Kassad had the opportunity to go to his old team because that kind of happened, that was the next day, right? That he left Cloud9 and joined his team. Do you think that there was actually issues or he just wanted to kind of join back up with his old 100 Thieves team? I suspect on that one, it was like a little bit of all of those factors. And the fact that it was all of them meant that it just made sense for every single party involved to just move on. Like, for example, I, in each isolated case, I could believe it. Like, if I could believe Alex and Kassad didn't get along, like I did an episode of my show, Strapbook, which is kind of about like coaching or in-game leading. And I actually mm -hmm. did one with Kassad and he basically just straight up says, Alex's style is more like run a bunch of defaults and then call something out of that makes sense by the way it's like a Carrigan approach basically like you, you let the IGL kind of have his skill set in the game but the problem with that is the coach doesn't get that much interface with that unless mm -hmm. we're in the online period where you can talk meanwhile if you get the sense if you watch Kassad's career because he's often worked especially with like less uh, experienced or top tier players he prefers more of like a tactical approach you know like a bunch of set pieces and you move into those and then that's how you play the game so I think actually it's not that that's like diametrically opposed but I can see that if those don't align you're going to sort of be pulling in different directions if you stick together now personally and the one part I find where the extreme one part almost has to factor in 
is even if that's the case, if you're Kassad, you don't just say, well, respectfully, I decline this position, have all the money back, I don't need a job anymore in a world where, if people don't know, I've said it many times publicly, it's really bad, not just for players, even for coaching staff now. Like, some of the best coaches in the world, there's just no offers out there for them. Like, yeah. other teams, even the ones that would need an upgrade are like, but we're not at Lands right now, so we don't really care about paying for it. So, mm. I, I do feel like if the extreme mum offer wasn't there, I think you at least try and work for a compromise or you stick around for a few more months or you give his style a try and then you say in a few months my style comes on if you don't succeed or whatever I do think that probably played into it I can certainly believe by the way they're saying it that they might have a different vision on the game the part you said about like the signing of the idea that like maybe it wasn't a package but maybe it's like we got this guy because it's a way to like make Alex happy because he did intimate quite heavily when he was in Vitality on the bench that like he had offers but he was doing that thing that a lot of players do where it's like they want to go to the ideal situation they don't want to go and in his case you're like you're building a brand new team from nothing so at least if you have a good coach you're hoping that's going to work out because to me I have to say the second Cassard of all the dominoes that had to fall soon as the Cassard one fell my actual hopes for this team being really good went way downhill because part of what I was hoping was going to make these gambles work out and these lesser players that haven't made it work I was hoping the coach is the miracle man there. He's the guy who's somehow going to bridge this gap or put people in positions they've never played before or develop a player like Messi or someone, you know. So to me, I do think that killed a lot of the project for my money anyway. Mm. It's interesting that you said that he's more tactical because um, one of the biggest issues I thought with the team was that they struggled a lot with utility. They struggled a lot with like positioning correctly um and like setting up for trades and i think that they would i think they were good at defaulting but i think if they got interrupted or when it came to actually getting onto the site they would struggle and i think that that could just be how long they were together but also if alex likes defaulting he likes tactical i feel like you could have figured out how to mesh those where alex can kind of default for the first minute and then Kassad could just have awesome sets to be able to get into the site like when they're ready because i thought they could get really good map control they had good lurks. They were able to kind of move around and get good stuff. But then when it came to actually getting onto a site, they struggled a lot with that, at least on the T side. I also just think generally, like, this is the reason why even for someone like Alex, you had to uh, still have some reservations for the fact he only really played in one top team, which is Vitality, and with that certain group of players. Because you never know, does the guy even have a system or did he actually just literally think, without being, like, rude, like... In my system, you know, the guy who plays the Zewu role seems to just get all these kills, so my system works. So there's players mm -hmm. who have been like that, you know, they haven't experienced the, an A-B test of when you have a player who's half as good as Zewu play the same position, you know. Because obviously in Alex's system in Cloud9, after Woxic, I mean, even with Woxic, they didn't have a competent tier one opera. So as a result, like, it's why I actually have kind of a very unique take on the whole like, Cloud9 experience no one else does, which is to me, I look at Alex and some of the sort of baseline elements, and I go, they did their job like a motherfucker. Look at this team. Like, look how many times they were either beating or going head-to-head -head with the absolute best teams like yeah. if anything it's like you're describing me yeah if they were in like a 14-14 situation and they go on the site and then it's just an even man situation well yeah the players aren't good enough so I'm gonna guess they probably lose that like we all saw a million times lose the overtime and have to go oh gosh get them next time but that's one mm. of the reasons why personally I actually also lost a lot of hope when Cassard left is because again if I'm working with lesser players Tactics are what get a player who's worse into a position where he can have a favorable situation against a better player. A default style. It's the reason why people who hope, by the way, that like Flusher will be the great in-game leader of the next generation. Like this guy's played his entire career with just stacked lineups. No wonder he thinks defaulting is the secret to the universe. Like he's never had a scenario where he goes with a guy half as good as the person who's going to have the gunfight with. Try doing defaults when your team's way worse. You won't have a very good time. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree.
do do you think they made the right choice in keeping Alex over Kassad? The tough one with that is I don't even know whether there is a choice there. Like, if you mm. kick Alex, who do you even get as an in-game leader? Right. Like, I actually think, to me, the whole... The whole like Alex basically is the crown jewel piece within the team because your big gamble with him was if it does work out and he is actually what he appeared to be a vitality, which certainly I would say, like I said, I think in Cloud9 he showed actually a lot of potential or showed that he, he did have his stuff with totally different players that worked. To me, that's basically the whole foundation of the team was the idea. Like, to me, the three most important pieces was Alex as the in-game leader, Woxic, you're hoping he's like a superstar player like he was in Mouse, and then Kassad's one of your best coaches. You've got, Like I said, if you've got those three pieces, mate, we can negotiate the rest down the line. Maybe I get rid of every other player eventually. But the point is, as long as I make the right shrewd moves there, all of a sudden you're only a couple of moves away from having legitimately one of the best teams in the whole world. So, yeah, I, I do think that, like, if you were going to get rid of Alex, there's not really any point doing with the project, in my opinion. You'd have better off just buying a team at that point in time. Because that was also the other thing that was sort of lurking behind the whole Cloud9 thing, was that especially because their fingers got burned in years gone past with the Daps lineup and the Golden and Flusher lineups. In theory, Cloud9 didn't want to do what they did here, because nobody does, which is build a team from scratch, because it's the hardest thing you can do in Counter-Strike. But at the same time, if you want to buy a team already people charge you a lot of money so yeah. they what's bizarre is they ended up sort of spending a lot of money and building a team from scratch and then end up with nothing so just shows how sometimes you zag when you should have zigged yeah um do you think that uh so that there were rumors that nico and hunter were going to be coming or that was like kind of the original plan do you think that they could have gotten that if g2 didn't know that they had like a huge windfall of money coming in for perks like, I like, certainly like, think, yeah, I, th I think if you're G2, it made a, the deal a lot easier, put it that way. Like, if people aren't aware, because unfortunately you have to know League of Legends and know CSGO to know this, like, basically, during the off-season, Carlos, the owner of G2, somehow managed to navigate transfers so that he unironically got two superstar name upgrades for his League of Legends and CSGO team while essentially getting paid to receive them to his team because he got so much from the Perks deal. that And let's face it, he sold shocks as well to Vitality for 300k. Like, you had those deals together. He made money off adding Nico and Reckless to his League of Legends and CSGO team. Like, that alone is God's here. So I will say, if you, if you sort of know that's lurking in in the background you could be a lot more aggressive and in fact i will say that's even one of the details where when people laugh at cloud nine for overspending on certain players i don't think they realize like unfortunately because people knew they were desperate and it's a new project and you had people think of the teams he was competing against in henry g he was competing against jason lake to get jks or, or jacob or these other players that we wanted he was competing against the likes of carlos for nico etc so not only are the in theory are the other teams also offering like a ready-made team that the player would want to join but you have to be even more aggressive if you're going to hope to get that guy. Like That's why when people, the Tag one especially, I don't think people realise, like, you would never get a player like that or the potential that it was Zipniks to come unless you just offered them essentially, like, enormous sums of money to make up for the fact they're not joining one of the best teams in the world. Like, that's that's one of the real problems with these things. It's like I keep saying to people, it isn't like sports, unfortunately. It ain't like you pay the dollar amount and then the all-pro player comes to your, like, mid-table team. Like, the, the player either wants an amazing team or, like, essentially you just say a number where it's like, well, I, I couldn't say no if they said yes to that. And that's what people like Zipniks were doing. So as far as I can tell, I don't think Nico and Hunter and players out were ever actually coming. I think they probably came to the negotiation table. But quite frankly, bearing in mind people like G2 could offer them the same money as well as a good team, I don't think they were ever really going to come. It's why if you actually know, like, a lot of the rumoured ones behind the scenes, Cloud9 did a pretty decent job with the players they did get, but... 
a lot of the ones you would want if you were a fan, they were the ones that declined, unfortunately, or went elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the latest lineup? Like, did you think they grew over time? Did you think that they had potential to actually make like deep runs in tournaments and actually compete at the highest level if they were given more time? The tough part about that is like, they were pretty good, especially when, like, put it this way, here's what's funny. When you look at the first lineup on paper in terms of the names, obviously part of the reason you're gambling is some of those names are better than the form of them. I'd say the other lineup was the opposite way around. Like, once you'd actually gotten used to what Cloud9's core was like, and then suddenly their stars are floppy and zeppa, right, well, on paper, if we're all being realistic, the only expectations for a team like that should be just be top 20. And I'll tell you what... They weren't doing a bad job of that. Like, as I said, they would, they, they, I, I know everyone loves to claim if a team loses in very narrow fashion, you know, it was like they almost won, right? I generally don't do that. But as a general trend, I don't think I've, I've said this before, I don't think I've ever seen a team that in terms of results was bad, which Cloud9 was, have as many close games against top teams. It's absurd. So to me, something must have been working within that mix. Now, if you go and look at the raw stats, nobody was fragging super well in that team. So it's not like these guys were studs. I think they probably were a bit off and unfortunately for me that's also why i i feel like the order cloud nine did things in was so bizarre to me because if you do get rid of woxic and then you do not go for the big name free agents you go for these lesser names like zeppa and floppy presumably you're hoping in those cases by the way that they're just going to be motivated and that's the idea that's exactly when you want a cassade as the guy who's coaching him that's not when you want the guy i think they actually had the former cloud nine guy uh uh, at one point, and then mm-hmm. I know Elmer Potty came in. Like these aren't the people who have the track record, unfortunately, working with those people. If anything, those are the people I'd want to stick with the stars, the, so they'd be watching in the game. So I think also sort of the methodology of however they handled these player moves and cloud, and that's something I think was might have been a little bit flawed. Yeah, they went from kind of a more mature team to having three super young, basically rookies. The problem is fans just acted like it was the same lineup the whole time, which is why, unfortunately, yeah. I don't even think, by the way, that like making fun of them, whatever, is bad. Like, it's certainly part of fan culture. I just think that by the end, the caricature that people were painting was so far off what you actually saw on the server and the players yeah. that played for Cloud9. Like, like even, like, as you're saying, like, mate, even the joke of like, oh, they spent millions for this. It's like, but they didn't. Like, they've only got, like, for a start off, some of those players are gone. The coach is gone. Like, and, and plus, like, no one's paid millions for Zeppa. Like, he just came in for almost nothing, basically. So, yeah, yeah like, the problem really was there. Like, the, the narrative reality just superseded actual reality eventually. Yeah, that's what I kept saying, is, like, every... Each each time they made a big change, I thought the change was big enough to almost, like, reset the roster completely. Like, moving to Alex Opping, like, you're almost starting over at that point. And then again, yes. moving to... And then again, moving to S-Tag Opping, like, you have to look at it as not like, oh, they've been together four months. It's like, well everyone's role has now shifted again. And while, in fact, like, there's another angle, mate. If, if I'm going to say of a bad team, they were like one of the best ones in terms of like how close they could play people. Dude, when have you ever seen a team with as bad a tier one opera? Because pick either of those two players. Neither of them were like competent tier one oppers. When we're talking about the open theory is the best gun, if you look at the rankings, who the best players are. The idea they're going head to head with like the Navis, Gambits of the world with, with basically no real opera, but still using the op. Even that in itself shows what Cloud9 the project was. It was very flawed, but in certain ways it worked. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. What do you think about Mezzi? Because when he came in, he was the most unknown, at least for Cloud9 fans. And I think that he got a ton of... Like whenever I saw people saying they wanted to make a move, he was always like the first name I saw. But when watching Cloud9, even when I was studying him before they actually started, I thought he had the potential to have the highest ceiling of anyone on the team. So what do you think about like Mezzi and his performance and how, how he did? 
I think relative to his role and uh, certainly the cost because obviously he was cheaper, but like I think he was probably the best player on Cloud9 relative to role because like as you say, like mate, I, I almost never saw anything negative from the guy. In fact, when he was brought in, what's funny is when I initially heard that they're signing this like semi-unknown player is from the UK, I initially worried actually it's what other orgs were doing. It's like, right, but don't worry, someone's played him in some pogs and he's so so sick with his aim, bro. By the way, I'm not joking. It's so feckless in CSGO right now. Go to any coach. They all have a story of 50 people like that from FPL. They can't all be the next simple mate. Like, I'm going to go ahead and say almost none of them will be. But basically, if you remember how it was presented, what Henry said about Messi basically was legit. That is literally what, what happens is he'd gone... And he'd watched all these demos of him playing and he'd been told, you know, he's more of a support player, but he knows like every fucking smoke, all the utility. He's got a really good mind in clutches and just not like, mm -hmm. dude, all that showed up in the games. I'm telling people, go back. And if there's one player you're watching these teams, because you're not going to get enjoyment of watching, out watching the, the players you think are going to frag out because they don't do it very often. It's basically like the structure of the team and, and how well they play is what you've got to enjoy. Messi's one of the few players you can watch and go, actually, the idea this guy has no tier one experience. Like he actually, for me, he did look like a player who looked fairly clutch looked didn't look like nerves got to him he did his job actually was able to look like he was probably studying the game etc like i thought he lived up to the billing yeah he he was so good um at holding sites too he was like the one player where if they're going into a site that i was like i felt the most confident if he was on like that height that site holding it do you think that the team stays together if they make it out of yes up early groups I think they maybe buy themselves a little bit longer. Like, if you look at the way this project ended, part of me feels as though if we add all the factors together, because one of the interesting things is even if someone says something BS in, like, their PR or whatever official statement, usually it will sort of hint at something that's plausible. That's how they craft, like, the narrative. So if I had to, if I had to guess, the fact that lands potentially are still so far away, I think, was an issue. The fact that they obviously didn't do anything relevant, I guess, or probably in the end, probably also adds to it. The fact that the team was sort of stuck in a rut. It's like all of it combined, I think, is what made the accelerate its demise. I think, for example, if they make a little bit of a further run at playoffs, even just making playoffs of ESL Pro League, that maybe should get you a month or a couple more tournaments. Then if you get another playoffs, maybe you start doing... But I do think the big problem they had, it's what I was saying on By the Numbers a lot, you'll notice, is at the same time, I always mentioned how close they played those top teams... At the end of the day, like, there are no moral victories if you're running a sports team. There's only real victories. So, like, eventually, you can't just say, but I had these 10 top 10 ranked teams that I had all these amazing best of threes. It's like, well, how many did you win? Like, eventually, you got to win some of these. So, to me, the fact that they were always coming so close and losing... In a, in a sense, I don't blame the org in that regard for thinking like this project's going nowhere. Because on the one hand, you can go both ways on that. You can either say you're either this close and you're that much, you've got a little bit extra to go. But in my case, that means probably roster move. And that's what gets you over the hump. Or you go the other way and you say, look, if we can never get over that, which was not good enough and something's fundamentally flawed, which probably was true as well. I thought they didn't never had enough fragging power in the team. So I can sort of see how circumstances led them to the situation, but I do think things like basically never having a relevant top finish, that certainly, I think, accelerated the demise because the part I think probably a lot of people misunderstand about contracts in the modern day is you don't really pay all of the contract unless the, the player keeps playing for your team. Like, I have almost no doubt right. that by cancelling all the contracts now, even if they had to pay, like, a severance fee, it'd definitely be cheaper than paying everyone's contract out for the whole year or whatever. So, in that sense, 
if you actually ever, I don't know that they were doing this, but if you ever were in the back of your mind thinking, if it gets too far, I might have to leave the game entirely, then that had to be an option that you left on the table. That's a contingency plan at some point. And the question then becomes, what activates it? So I personally disagreed with it. I obviously think they should even have a CSGO team now. But if you were looking at it from the perspective of when do we decide to pull out, I can sort of see why the ESL Pro League might be the straw that broke the camel's back. Because that was also the one to me where it's like, the other ones where they would fail would be like they just lost the last match really close and they might have like upset a bigger team. The way it was left with that MIBR game, that was like the one time I think I've ever seen where Cloud9 on paper might even have been a slight favourite. And then they blew that one as well. So it's like, if you're going to blow that one, like that's not like, oh, but we just lost to Nav. It's like, no, you just lost to MIBR. You know, yeah. eventually there's got to be some standards, boys. Yeah, that, that was a a sour way to sour way to go out. Do you think that um, when they're looking at keeping the team and like again the growth and Alex's system, do you think that having an IGL like Alex should have bought them more time because it is more default? It takes way more time to kind of just grow around someone who's defaulting rather than like an execute based system, kind of like extra salt the old Cloud Nine, where it was like I feel like if you got a new player or whatever, you kind of plug them in and they could learn the executes and kind of be part of the team where Alex it's like everything's off feel do you think that that like should have bought them more time the understanding that all these changes and they should have just it's just it's totally different than joining execute based team the flaw for me is, like I say, like if I'm going like really macro level, like you know, looking at stylistic how the teams match up, etc. To me, default style is based around having really amazing players. It's the reason why I hate that. Unfortunately, that phase period of Carrigan's career made people think he just doesn't run any tactics and he really does just say Nico go kill or whatever. Because what they don't realize is that's actually just the sign of a great in-game leader. That if you really do have a player like Nico and you set him up in a very simple manner and you know that six rounds in a row he's going to get a kill. At the connector on Mirage on the team, then you just let him do that. You don't go, no, but how do I show everyone I'm a genius with my tactic and this incredibly complicated and the smoke no one's and oh you just you just run what works and it's the same as like NFL quarterbacks. The ones who are really great don't have to throw a massive insane deep ball. They just throw the, the little ball that gets you the first down. Like that wins you the game in the end. It doesn't matter what the, the critics say. So the problem to me is like to do his style, I'm convinced you need to have star players. And I don't think Cloud9 had any at the end. I also think if you look at them as a team kind of alluded to this a bit like the fact that they let Alex and then Essa tag be the AWPA. That's a move I disagreed with on, on all levels, both of them. Like to me, neither of those players, it, it was never going to work. It's not the idea of like they needed months to get into it. They were never going to be top AWPAs. That was always to me like a stopgap measure. But as you're saying, like they sort of treated it as up. It was like, you know, I'm going to do it and then I'm going to get better. And then if I'm good, I'll do it longer. So that's one thing I really disagreed with the Cloud9 was that even when I thought they didn't have very much firepower, they did that thing Orgs do where it's like you can't ever have any critical opinion about any player. You have to just believe they're all these amazing untapped potential you know fucking generators of greatness in counter-strike whereas like most players aren't like most players you look at them and you go right you could probably do this we need someone who can do this other thing though and that's for really in cloud now what they never did like they said they didn't seem actually internally to acknowledge that they lacked firepower they just tried to make it sound like it's a new lineup or we need more time or we haven't had a boot camp and it's like to me the lineup was fundamentally flawed as well especially by the end when they didn't get the big names yeah. So I think you said, I think it was also by the numbers you said that you thought they were one move away. Is that kind of the move you would think about making? Is Did you have like an opera or kind of a move in mind? 
The problem with the AWPA move is this this is the reason why I like the idea of signing an AWPA to a team like Cloud9 is because it actually shows, in my opinion, if you understand the way that GMing works in CSGO right now, because I can tell you there's a lot of people whose whose role is GM or they're an owner of a team with millions of VC money at their disposal who don't know anything about actually how sports GMing works. They think it's like a shop and you just want something and you go and buy it for the price listed. Like they don't understand that part of it's a business of like, how do I convince someone to come here? Who should I get? For example, like obviously the most genius move a sports GM does in sports is when you're not the big market team who can just sign all the best players. You're not like the Lakers or whoever it might be, right? You're the team who has to be not only shrewd, but you basically have to gamble sometimes. That's what no GM will do in esports. So, for example, I've said this before, assuming literally there are places and these players don't have to retire. Like if you especially if you put all these names out there. So think of like Guardian, Kenny S, even if you go back in the day, Oscar's still around. The idea all of these players are going to drop off. What? And none of them are ever going to be good at Counter-Strike again. None of them are ever going to come back to tier one. I mean, if you watch their careers, probably most of them come back to tier one. If they don't, there's probably some extenuating reason. Like they lost complete motivation in their life. Maybe they don't like Counter-Strike anymore. Maybe they can't find a team that works for them. But aside from that, like these guys, let's face it, they didn't wake up one day. We used to have a joke in League of Legends. Like the skill vampires didn't come overnight. Like Kenny S didn't wake up one morning and all drained and he can't aim an orb. No, so whatever's going on with Kenny S or Guardian, whoever it might be, if I'm a team like Cloud9... That's the sort of player I pick up. Now, which one I pick up, I will say, I wouldn't go into it blind. Like, I would hold like, extensive interviews with these guys. I'd try and get talk to past teammates. I'd try and basically figure out what could have been going wrong previously or what did they not have before or what would potentially bring them back to their good level. Because whoever gambles and actually wins the Kenny S lottery as it was, they're going to have taken what on paper is a player nobody wants. And again, it'll be one of the best players in the world. Because think about this, right? Everyone wants a great AWPA. And everyone talks it. You all need an AWPA. It's why Cloud9 has one. You, everyone in Tier 1 needs a Tier 1 AWPA. There aren't enough AWPAs to go around, boys. Like, half the time people are criticizing Mantu and people like that. So if those players aren't good enough, who is? Like, Simple's not coming. Zero's not coming. Device isn't coming. Like, the ones you want aren't coming. You're basically going to have to gamble. Because I'll tell you another thing. The one thing I don't want to do, um, other people probably disagree with me on this one. I'd rather gamble that I can find a way to maybe resurrect Kenny S than take a FPL AWPA. Because the other, listen, certain roles, I think you can just take someone out of FPL. Like if you're just going to have to be a hard entry, it's an obvious one. If they already have someone who baits all the time, if they want to be a basic lurker, they could probably do that with a little bit of coaching. The idea you're going to be a tier one AWP fresh from nothing, <laughs> like, good luck, mate. That's probably the hardest transition you could ever make in your entire life. Like, all those shots that you hit in the, the FPL pog, a whole team like Astralis is setting up for your peak in that corner, mate. They've got all utility and everything. So, to me, I think that the move should have been, yeah, once Woxic went, in my opinion, they should already have started, whether it was then or down the line, like figuring out who's the eventual AWP replacement because it needs to be a specialist. And unfortunately, yeah, you're going to have to gamble on someone who everyone else thinks isn't in great form now, which I get you've just done that with Woxic, but it's also the only way you can potentially get a tier one AWP right now. Yeah. Yeah, you also sit on by the numbers you talked extensively about just like the community reaction and even Cloud9's own community and how they were just constantly tearing the team apart. Do you think that, do you think Cloud9's own fans contributed to the team being dropped? Like, do you think that if Cloud9's own fans, like in their Discord, their Reddit were more positive, do you think that they could have bought them more time? 
I don't I like I, I don't follow their discords, so I can't speak to that. What I would say though is I didn't really get the sense it was like Cloud9 fans that were the ones who were like the harshest. I got the sense it was more like the rest of the community. Mm. And quite frankly, there was a lot of overlap. This is where actually Henry's a bit unfortunate. Like he also doesn't know he walked into the minefield that was already established of like Cloud9 is also a part of Flashpoint, and Cloud9 has their own history with not having a top team for years. And with Flashpoint, there's me involved, and then I like, say that whole thing combined, it's like that's like the fucking hate is like Venn diagram of all the things we hate in mm. the center in one circle. Like you don't even, it's not even overlap there, is it? It's just everyone hates those three things. So the problem is, I do think there was definitely like, a, like I wouldn't even say it's like widespread. I'd say it's like the vocal minority. It's the people who post on Reddit and social media. A lot of those people were primed to be against Cloud9. I didn't personally get the sense it was like disappointing Cloud9 fans that much. Mm. And quite frankly, if there were, I'm on your side. I agree with you. I personally, myself, if I was a Cloud9 fan for last year, would have been mad underwhelmed. Like it's not even that I need them to be, you know, a team that could win the major because the one that won the major was kind of like an outsider. I just want them to be a competent team. You know, have a top 10 team in the world. That's all I ask, really. So I wouldn't blame a C9 fan if you looked at like, listen, I do think, quite frankly, for the Golden Flusher Keo one, you should actually give the Org a pass because you ever look into that, that was an insane amount of like extenuating circumstances. That's like, I think something yeah. like four of the five players had their own times where they just couldn't play in the lineup and had to go out. So that one, I don't blame them. The Daps one, I do blame them for because they actually did the same thing as this. They built a lineup mm -hmm. and then just abandoned it immediately. So that one, I wasn't a fan of. Then I told them not to do this one. So this is their own fault. Then there was the North American lineup, which I told them from day one exactly what that team would be. And by the way, I wasn't mean. I even told them if they do a really good job, maybe they could be a team like your know, 15th best in the world, 20th best in the world. But they were going, no, but they can improve and, you know, gain experience. Yeah, doing that like, you know, fucking Disney kids movie approach where everyone can be awesome in the end. So after all those teams... If you then hear all this like braggadocious, like, oh, we're signing this team and we're going to build a Colossus and we spent millions and this guy's saying we're going to win the year. If then that team sucks as well. I sort of get it if you're C9 funny. Like, what the fuck is this? So even this team sucks. And then I, this is my problem after all of it, right? I know, like I said earlier, why in isolation, each move makes sense and C9 would want ultimately to move out. But the one that I don't get is like, this is like the biggest tease of all time at the end. Because now is the lineup where you've promised you're spending money and that you're going all out and you've got this GM and he's got a vision for the game. And then you pull the plug. That, that's the most brutal one. It's like, because unfortunately that can't be looked at only for this lineup. It does add to all the past disappointments and the through line that it, no matter when they, even if they got a name that was good, it would never quite work out for Cloudland. Like if you're a C9 fan, you, you don't just reset when Henry G joins the team. It's still the same frustrations that carry on from the last team. And unfortunately, until a team plays for CSGO Cloud9 with all those jerseys on and is really good, it'll never really end. You'll always have that sentiment of like, this is bullshit. I even think, by the way, a, a, a milder side that people probably don't consider is... It used to be back in the day that it sucked to play for Team Liquid because even if you were actually better than Cloud9, all the fans were Cloud9 fans. I feel like the last year or so, even though it's not like Team Liquid have been amazing, they've never been on Cloud9's level. So that that certainly hurts as well. But if you're a C9 fan, you're like, we never get the chance to be the best again. Like it's just now we're just a permanent second best. Like that adds to it. That adds pressure, I think. Yeah. Yeah, my problem with Extra Salt was I loved the lineup, but I thought it was clear when they were hired that it was like, okay, we're getting this lineup and it's at least like a two-year project because they were all put it like this way i don't actually I, I here's the thing i can only say so much like obviously i won't speak out of school but i will say this right one of the reasons i also went very hard for some of the flashpoint stuff last year 
is because based on what I was being told, there was a world in which Cloud9 certainly would have been a front runner in this case. There's a world in which Cloud9 might have just had the real whole Astralis lineup as their team in CSGO. So I also do think, by the way, that I think one of the reasons they also got the NA lineup was as it was just a placeholder. Hmm. It was to put in the line and to say, look, we've got a team and, you know, we obviously need one for Flashpoint 1 anyway. And in the meantime, who can we get? Can we get Astralis? EG was a team that maybe was possible. 100 Thieves obviously was a team potentially on the table. Like I've pointed out before, the Nico Super team with Nico and Caldera and the Balkan players. These teams all potentially, any of these teams you could have signed. Hmm. So in that sense, I sort of get it. It is a bit cynical to those players to be like, look, you represent this team. It's like, because in my opinion... Maybe a controversial one for some people. Teams like Astralis, Cloud9, prestige brands. I don't think you should ever be having placeholder players. Like, in my opinion, it devalued legitimately the Astralis brand to ever have Juggy play in their lineup and lie and say he was a real player. To me, it just makes it look like your standards for a player are way lower than I expect for an Astralis team. You know, I would hope that to play for Astralis, to ever even pull that jersey on means you are a really special player. You've got some extra time. So I would want it to be the same for C9. Like in isolation, yeah, no problem to those players. They, they tried their best. It certainly seemed like they were hardworking. But the idea that that lineup of players play for Cloud9, that is a bit whack. So I don't personally believe like in their heart of hearts, the, the people in the GM position at Cloud9 thought that was a long-term mm. lineup. They might have said as much and they might have said it to the players, but I think they were always going to attempt to make a move elsewhere and as i say if the move had have been to get a team like astralis i mean i can't criticize if you actually make that move if you pull it off i certainly will if you don't or you just do nothing yeah huh interesting i didn't i didn't think about that do you think that um cloud Knight could have like done more to stem the hate of the team like either creating more content of players or when they release the salaries putting like it in some sort of like perspective like compared to like the average top 20 team players or even like gone on social media and like back them up like a little bit more like you even saw with Tarek recently about how he just posts like hey like I get it I hate and like the whole narrative completely flipped on Reddit from like laughing at Tarek to hey like let's not bag on Tarek do you think they could have done more like just throughout their socials to try and like pull some of the hate back I do think that they absolutely miscalculated the PR direction by going this banter route and the whole Colossus and all that stuff, right? Because here's the flaw with doing it that way, is they understood the level one approach to that PR strategy, which goes like this. As long as we're good, it plays to our favor, right? At that point in time, it sounds cool that you gave yourself a nigga. Same with everyone knows with the juggernaut, etc. Once you start winning and you're good, all of a sudden, all the things that someone would have mocked you with, they become a strength of yours. The flaw they had was this. The reason why a team like G2 is masterful in League of Legends with using the banter, your own players approach is because they banter their own players. They banter the opponent if they win and if they lose, they banter their own players. The one thing Cloud9 couldn't do, and this is why I don't think Henry chose the right approach. I don't know if people know this because on camera, obviously you can choose the way that you're perceived to some degree. You're in, you're in isolated slots. You know, you don't have to, you're not 24-7 being filmed. I don't know if people know this, but Henry G's not really that much of a banter guy. You know, I know he's from the UK, but his, he's not really a fan of like, you know, sort of like banter where it's like you pick on something about someone he likes sort of like more general humor and, and generally funny stuff so as a result in my opinion i don't think he could actually handle it when they started getting wrecked i, don't, I think the team in general didn't really have the personalities who seem to like that sort of like mm. 
combative nature, you know. So to me, if you'd ha if you'd really been committed to that approach, you have to lean into it. Like for example, I would myself, I would have had the, I would for, for real have had the Cloud Nine account. And I would even maybe have players do this if they were up for it. I would have them sort of engage the haters like that. And be like, you know, like if you ever win a game, which they almost never did, you'd say something about like the Colossus or whatever, you know, you'd reference mm -hmm. it and you'd sort of, because oh, what I, I think you personally do is this, when a meme gets out there, it has a life of its own, but people can like sort of, they, can, they can't like stop it or make it go 10 times bigger. They can sort of steer it a little bit if they're involved with the meme. Because as part of the narrative, you actually are, you're hooked into the the evolution of the meme. So what you're gonna do is, if a meme ever exists that's negative about you, you have to take charge of it. You can't stop it existing. Because if you do that, people will mention it ten times more. What you have mm. to do is make it not as cool to the hater that that's the meme. Like the obvious example would be, look, mate. If I never said a single word ever after March 2014, go look it up about Poland, right? You think that wouldn't just be everything people who hate me said 24/7? Almost no one ever brings that up, mate, because I made that part of the meme. I made the joke now, where obviously even though I don't, I make the joke because I hate everything from Poland to this day. Like, like if I go to an event, right, and they have that brand in America, Poland Springs, I'll take a picture like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, I, I control that meme now, whereas that meme could have gotten way out of control and destroyed me, you know. So I do think Cloud9, that was where they messed up. It's like, if you're going to go with the banter approach, you can't then lose and be like, oh, please, no one make fun of us. Like, wasn't that your whole shit like that was your stick dude like your stick was you guys were going to be calling people out and bantering and threatening mm -hmm. to win stuff so like that doesn't excuse that like, you know people being ridiculously harsh but like the idea that like nobody in the I, I call like social media and reddit like the virtual barbershop the idea no one's going to roast you after you've done that being like a little bit pretentious it's just that does come with the territory you have to understand that yeah do you think how do you think the salaries actually stack up compared to like the other top 10 teams considering like three of the players were on minimum deals? Do you think that like, because everyone talks all about Cloud9's money. For some reason, people care so much about Cloud9's money. But how do you think that the lineup actually compares like salary wise, like to any of the other top 10 teams? I mean, the joke is everyone is obsessed with the money because it's the only bloody team they actually know how much everyone right. gets paid. And so again, you did do that to yourself, Henry. Like, here's the thing. I agree with the macro angle of like, wouldn't it be cool if the whole industry was like this? We had transparency in that. But it's like, but it isn't. And as a result, you just put yourself in the fire on that one. Because the real problem is, it's like I said, if people really knew, it goes both ways, by the way. It's not just the teams that overpay like the FaZe clans of the world. Like, if you guys actually knew how much some of the FaZe clan players got played the last few years, you wouldn't think it was funny that they'd come fifth and then big ed nico thinks he's like you're know, doing a great job as an ig like you wouldn't think that was funny anymore you'd actually have the opinion by the way you might do about teams like cloud nine now like well relative to how much they're getting paid they're actually way worse than you expect meanwhile the examples i always give but i can update the list for you if you want is when you look at teams that get to the top literally the top of the rankings like ence heroic go back into that big these teams are like overperforming like you wouldn't even believe this is outrageous how much better these teams are than their average salary what their buyouts would have been if they were in the market you know like these teams are actually killing the game in a way that, like pretty sure it's very rare in sports that teams with those payrolls would ever get to the top of the the rankings you know in most sports like you pay the most you tend to get the best results you tend to have the best talent you know so i think that was one of the problems is that unfortunately the fact that they were one of the only teams people knew sort of if not the exact numbers, you could pretty much sort of guess it or you could see what ballpark it was in. 
it definitely added extra pressure. But I agree with you as well. There's another area where you could tell that it's like people were so horny to make fun of Cloud9 at the end that they just forgot all the rationale that would make the joke funny. Because at the end of the day, it isn't very funny, is it? To be like, wow, 20 million for this or whatever. It's like, no, three of those players don't get anywhere close to a big deal. Like, actually, let's go the other way. Is it logical that it's that it's actually hilarious that a team with three players who are basically almost nobodies, effectively, can go head to head with the best tier one EU teams and almost beat them? Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that actually fucking amazing? Like, only in that context, yeah, in the context of who they play for and what you're supposed to deliver, it's nothing. But in that, just looking at that situation alone with the money that you know about, it goes the other way eventually on Cloud Nights. Just unfortunately. Again, the narrative was that was like a train that was way out of control already. It was never going to be stopped, unfortunately. Soon as you started on the route of we're spending big and we're buying all these players, you basically have to eventually get like complexity do. You have to eventually become a team that really could win the event. Otherwise, there's, there's no going back. Yeah. One thought I had was it seemed like at the end of last year, Cloud9 was like spending a lot of money. Like they're talking about spending all this money on Counter Strike and then they get perks and all this stuff. But then, kind of since then, it has, I've gotten the feeling that Cloud9 is like bleeding money. Because they've had like a number of cost-saving moves. Like it can start with like Licorice to Fudge, released a couple of Fortnite players, laid off staff, even like Woxic to Zeppa. They've had like just like these quite a few cost-saving moves. Do you think that that could have played a part in the decision to the just pull this early as kind of to use this as an excuse to just continue saving money? I was very, very shocked. This is why the thing that underwhelms me most about Cloud, it's why I tied it at the beginning to my experience in Flashpoint, because it was a very similar vibe. What made doing Flashpoint cool was even when there were flaws like, but we don't have any of the good teams. They would all tell me, don't worry, we'll sign all the good players. Well, as long as that premise exists, they're right. Eventually, we would have good enough teams. You know, it just, it's just a question of when, not if, right? The problem I have with the Cloud9 up is exactly that. It's like, I just don't get at all the idea that they were like trying to be, in theory, by the way, you're actually trying to be a good businessman. You're saying, look, I'm not going to throw bad mo- good money after bad. And if the project's not going to work, I'll pull the plug now instead of, you know, waiting another six months and then I have to pull the plug after spending even more. The problem I have is, to me, it was the opposite. It's like you had a team that was actually that close. It was obvious you needed at least one big name player who's good now. Sign that player, and in my opinion, you're not throwing good money after bad then. You're actually making the project finally activate where all the other millions were for. But instead, they obviously, they decided differently, and they didn't have any more patience in the project. So I still personally thought, yeah, it was very salvageable. And that, like, I put it this way, in my opinion, in the long run, I know the money's already gone, but you just wasted more money by doing it this way. Like, I would have rather, even if I even if I couldn't sign the biggest name player, like I say, at least get one of those free agents where there's no buyout or something, you know, and maybe that's the way I can offset the costs. Like, I'm not starting off with the big 500k. You know, I pay a nice salary and then down the line, it get, you know, that can buy you a few more months. So that's the part that underwhelmed me. I felt like they, they did miss, they, they took a misstep there, in my opinion. When do you think they come back and how do you think they come back? Do you think they're going to just buy a big org? you think they're going to buy a small org, build a new team? Based on what we've seen so far and based on this like approach they took with this last lineup where, um, I just mean the last Henry G era basically, mm-hmm. where even though they'd sworn off completely the idea of building a team, hence why, as I've pointed out, they didn't want to have that Nico Super team. Because their logic at the time was like, but it's not a team that exists. It's like, well, spoiler, mate. Woxic, Esetag, and fucking Messi isn't a team that exists. But apparently a month or two later, you thought that was great. So if I if I see what what sort of tendency, what turnoffs they've had as an org previously based on past experience, 
to me, I have to say, it's kind of brutal. I only see two futures. They either never come back to CSGO, and I think that is now a real possibility, because quite frankly, in an era where you don't even send the teams to the events, and actually your costs are, in theory, lower, this is exactly when you should keep your foot in the door. <laughs> you could you could run a min-max approach now and then just wait until lands come back and make your choice then. To buy back in, as we're alluding to here, basically, if you're going to buy back in, you're either going to end up with a team of a similar level for similar money, or you're going to have to spend mega box and buy a really good lineup. So the problem is, I, I think the latter has to be their only option if they want to come back to CSGO, because you can't put your fans through this again. No one wants to sit around for like four years of just never having a top team. So if you come back now, you have to just straight up sign like a top five lineup of the world, in my opinion. Otherwise, don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be, or I think it's going to be a while just because I thought it was kind of setting up where at least if they're growing in this whole online era, at least when lands come back, they're at least having all this experience and then can just like start banging out at lands rather than waiting until lands come back and then starting like brand new over. So yeah, I kind of agree. I also would suspect as well that by by not being in CSGO now, they're also probably going to... It'll probably depend on other games as well, I imagine. Like, for example, what happens with Valorant, etc. Like, maybe LCS changes and there's a way the business gets better there. I think how those games do probably also affects how much you want to get back into a game like CSGO. Because the ultimate pull that CSGO will always have is that you don't have the game dev fucking around with all the stuff you're doing. The downside of that is... Now we've gotten to the point where you almost need the game dev to do some, otherwise you can't fix some of the fundamental problems in the scene. So maybe they're also waiting for that, to be fair. Like, I'm surprised that hasn't actually happened yet, that the big orgs in CS haven't tried as like a coalition going involved and being like, look, we don't want to invest in your game unless it's got X, Y, and Z like they would with a Riot or a Blizzard. So maybe that happens down the line as well. I know a lot of these orgs, is why they made Flashpoint, aren't particularly happy with like the approach that like CS currently has in terms of the monetization. Do you think that they would struggle to... Like, even if they're buying a whole team, do you think they would struggle to kind of get players to buy in considering how everything has gone like the last couple of years and with this lineup? Like, do you think players would <laughs> want to avoid playing for Cloud9? I, I would certainly have it in the back of my mind if I'm European. Like, ooh, I don't know if this is the org I want to join. Because first of all, not only have loads of my forebearers before me, who maybe were even bigger names, like think of some of the names they've had. Not only have they gone and not had a great time in Cloud9, like unlike Team Liquid, where they had that simple period years ago, basically none of the imports worked for Cloud9. They just temporarily, some of them had a couple of good games. They were never like, no, there's no classic player for Cloud9 who's an import. Like in CSGO, we're talking about, obviously. Like that doesn't exist. So first of all, you do really need it to be European players because there are no North American players right now or they're playing team record or EG so the other angle as well if you go back is I also do think that's why you have to sign like a straight up top five team where it's like they're not joining and going is this guy going to be good so it's just their teammates now because yeah I don't think especially after this one I don't think you can ever build from scratch again like I wouldn't if I'm a pro player I would never join a team like this like you've just shown you don't know how to build from scratch so if you if you're just willing to use the fact that you're clouding on the org and you get loads of money you want to pay us and we are Astralis whoever it might be in the Phase clan, someone like that. Yeah, that would make sense to join. At that point, you're just getting the upside of the Cloud9 org. If you have to interface with their like understanding of the CS goal space, I think a lot of people are going to be put off, unfortunately. Yeah. I I know you said you didn't really like the Zeppa signing because it wasn't really an opera, not necessarily because of Zeppa, but how do you think Henry did like overall, given the fact that he did have the short window to build the team and then walks again, I'm not working out and Kassad. How do you feel his performance was like overall? 
My biggest problem with Henry G's approach, like each player separately, I don't mind with the exception of Esetag. That's the part that kills me. Because in my opinion, when your team already has Alex and Mezzi in, you already know they're going to be the supportive aspect of the team. Like the Mezzi guy you've literally brought in to be a support specialist. You surely didn't think Alex was going to be a big fragger. Like he's going to be an okay fragger and he runs default stuff. Like in that scenario, what's Esetag doing there? Like, I think Astralis, it's why Astralis actually is the only team that looked really good with Esetag in, whereas, like, even Heroic just looked all right when he was in the team. They actually figured out this is the guy who's the most obvious replacement for Zipnik's probably ever in fucking Counter-Strike. Like, he looks like he was almost tailor-made to play that way. And then the fact that he had some mad synergy with Dip Dupree, who we, that's just, like, found money. You just tripped over and found that. So, to me, if you bring him in, you as I said before, that basically, that would have been Zipnik's. It was either going to be Esetag or Zipnik's in that position. So, my problem is, if you look at my model, how you make a team, you've just overstacked supportive elements. You don't have enough fragging already from day one. So as a result, in my opinion, the second you had Mezzi and Ezetag going with Alex, that already meant like, look, Woxic, you have to basically be like your prime tomorrow. Not even just be good. You have to be, a, you, you basically have to be like a top five player in the world, probably top 10 player in the world to carry that team. You'd have to be exceptionally good. So I already thought that was the flaw. And unfortunately, that's where I just have a different perspective than other people in the space. Like Henry himself was an in-game leader and I can tell you a lot of in-game leaders in the game they don't think the way we do in that sense. Like, if they see a player has potential, they think I'm going to get that potential out of him. Whereas, because I can't control what the players do in the game, I can be very frivolous and just say, actually, this guy, I don't think he'll ever make it. So cast him aside, just take this guy who's good now. It's kind of the difference between an analyst and somebody who's a coach and stuff. So I've no doubt he thought he was going to get more out of all these players. So in that sense, they didn't do a great job with the team overall. But I actually thought, like I said, the pieces initially, the first lineup, there was definitely a logic to a lot of the signings and it could have gone a lot better. And then also, I think if you just look at the way the games were, worked out like i say in the end when i now know like the baseline level of what every match is gonna be like i was actually like mildly impressed with the team i thought they slightly overperformed most of the time yeah do you think he'll ever get another job as a gm if he wants one i would actually really question i haven't spoken to him about this but i would really question if he would want to after this especially because unfortunately another thing i think we found out last year this is why a team like cloud nine could go from like we need to make a league like Flashpoint and we got to make it like this and we're going to buy it and make a new team. So we're not even in CSGO, see ya. Like, overnight. is because I also think a lot of things changed last year as the year went on. Like, for example, going into the summer, as I said many times, I buy the numbers. The logic was that it would be a buyer's market. It would be like the stock market. You know, everything's low, so all the rich people just buy everything up and it goes up again, right? I thought it was going to be the craziest, like, I thought from the summer to the end of last year, you would have non-stop signings. Because what would happen is, all these names that were falling off now in some online line team gms would come and say well look i can guarantee that like breeze is going to be good again so i'll sign him now as a big player for Matt." and you'd have all the it was the opposite what you actually found was most people want to just spend as little as possible till they know we're back online again and before these results even actually like mean anything basically and in the meantime they're not going to buy for players that's why you have a player like me who becomes like a bidding war Dude, this guy was, no one cared about him when he was in Envy. But now there's a bidding war as to whether he joins OG or what was the other team he's going to join? Uh, oh, EG, obviously, the one that he did join. Yeah, there's mm. a, like that just shows that if those are the big name people that people are signing for, there was no money being spent. So unfortunately, I have to say, 
I don't think right now that that type of GM, like a superstar named GM who's going to come in and spend millions, I don't think that role even should exist right now in CSGO if people aren't going to spend the money. Because I know from some of my friends who are really top-level coaches, that's the role I tried to transition them all into. Because I said, you're never going to get that much credit as the coach because only the players know what you do. But all these orgs know that if they are committed to CS for 10 years, that they need to have someone who knows the bigger picture. So I was trying to move a lot of those really good coaches into the GM role. And I can tell you, not only did not many of them get picked up, but I think now, if anything, they're probably safer staying as coaches. So, unfortunately, the like the GM dream, I think that might have been a false start from 2020. We're probably a couple of years and being able to pick back up again. Because, ultimately, without the land scenario, because there's the other part people don't really add into this discussion. Who can have an eye test as to how good a player is when we're all playing on the internet? Like, based on the eye test, the best players in the world play for, like, bloody Gambit gaming, etc. Well, if I started a land tournament tomorrow, we're all drafting every player who exists in the world. What, you're all taking the Gambit gaming players first? I don't think so. Like, you guys can take them, and I'll be taking, you know, like, Twist, Carrigan, fucking simple. Like, I think I'll probably work out better in a few years. But that's the problem. Your job when you're online is you have to mindfuck yourself that those players are as good, because online right now, they're as good. But at the same time, do I spend millions and buy one of those players? Or do I, like we say, do we buy a player like a Woxit, like Kenny S, who shit now, but maybe they're going to be amazing online? Like, I think it was probably the hardest period in history to GM. Yeah. Do you think that the not spending money, like you said, do you think that could be why Alex had said originally that he, or Henry said this about Alex, that he had like multiple offers from top 10 teams but chose Cloud9, but now it seems like Cloud9 can't even sell him because they just released him? Like one another thing I have an issue with is, is this. If it was just about money, why would you ever do it the way they did? Which is one day, just tell everyone, it's over, we're out. And in fact, you know what? These players can all be released. This is another thing Cloud9 did that was so boneheaded. How were they behind the eight ball on every single move at every stage of this? So when they come to sign their big name and it's Essatag, it's last minute, they need a fifth player. The team that they're signing him from know they're over a barrel and they've just promised to go like... At that point in time, you have to just spend all the money. Like You have no negotiating position. Similarly, at the end, in this scenario, you don't just tell everyone you're selling up and leave. You, you've got to be smart and like play a little bit, maybe find a few offers, get at least some, recoup some money because some of these players are obviously worth it. Like The stupidest one is the fans that, is the one that fans have already nailed, which is if Essatag walks back to Astralis now, that makes Cloud9 look like some of the most incompetent businessmen to ever work in the CSGO space. So you sign the guy for money and then give him back for free. Like that's just, that's you've just failed at every stage of that negotiation there. So yeah, that's one thing that I did find quite alarming myself because if people don't know, like, MIBR has a totally different lineup right now than the one that played in Flashpoint three, uh, 2, obviously, right? The one that was, like, top six or whatever. But mm -hmm. what people might not realize is the whole reason why that team is not playing for an org is some of those players still have to be bought out of their MIBR contracts. And MIBR aren't like Cloud9. Like, you know what? We'll just give away our investment. They're like, yeah, you know what? If you want that player, come talk to me, buy his contract out, and you can have him. And that's the reason that that team does not play Counter-Strike right now, because they can't get anyone to buy the contract spot. So mm -hmm. I think the obvious names... Esatag and Alex were the obvious people who certainly have value in this space and can probably be sold. I think there's a world, by the way, where you might see Alex play for a team like EG in the future. I think there's a lot of big name orgs might sign this guy. So I do find it alarming, the thing that you said, that like basically like he wasn't as hot a topic anymore. That also really confuses me. It's why I, it's why I personally think the worst role in the game right now is GM, because so many of them don't understand the game at all. Like I say, to me, if anything, actually, I would be more confident signing Alex now, because before I was worried like everyone, 
Is it because he has Ziwu? Is it because he has this amazing French coach who's since done a lot more for Vitality? Apparently it's not. Apparently he is a good in-game leader in his own right. But everyone else, like you say, if anything, they're using the logic of wherever Cloud9, the team ultimately placed, must be how good Alex, the leader, is, you know. Whereas I think there's only a slight overlap between those two. Like, if anything, I thought he was sort of succeeding in spite of who he had towards the end. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join me, Thorin. Um, if you want to hear more of his thoughts, he talked about Cloud9 on the latest By the Numbers, uh, 151. So I'll have that link down below. Is there anything else you wanted to promote? I don't know when this exact video will come out, so it'll be at least a day or two if you've got a chance. But I'll basically probably also do a video like surmising the the concept of what I thought of the Cloud9 lineup myself. But I'll do like a, a separate approach where I'll even try and maybe look at things like, you know, which maps were they actually good on and some of the more flavored details that people might like to know. Because as I say, unfortunately, the narrative is so out of control on this team that I feel like it will just be remembered as like Henry G spent loads of money and then they never did anything at all. Whereas I want people to realize that like you have to characterize this team as one where once you know the problems they had and you get to the last lineup, the last lineup actually did work. Like respect to some of those players, even if they couldn't have won those matches. Yeah. Well, cool. I'll definitely look forward to that. Well, thanks for listening and I'll see y'all next time.